inflation cools, the stock market goes wild, and yes, crypto crashes. We got a lot to talk about tonight. You're listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. It has been a wild, I don't even know, wild few days, but it's really just been a wild year when it comes to markets, no money, kidding. the economy. Uh, so we're going to get our take, of course, as we do every Monday from our expert, Allworth's chief investment officer, Andy Stout. Andy, I was watching a basketball game over the weekend. It was Temple and Villanova, right? Villanova is a basketball powerhouse. Temple's winning, and so they the students just absolutely storm the court before the game is actually over. And I was thinking, kind of reminds me of markets when that inflation data came out. <laughs> like, kind of not even maybe a, a premature reaction because we don't really know where things are going long term yet. But the excitement over those numbers, man, it was real. Well, that's a really uh, good analogy, Amy. And if you, you think about it, that's exactly what happened. People saw the lower than expected inflation. And let's fast forward. Well, that means the Federal stops sooner. That means that'll be good for stocks. That'll be good for bonds. And we really did jump the gun. And, you know, I would say unlike or similar to uh, what you were saying, those players getting there a little or the, the fans getting on there a little too early. We might be getting a little too excited about this as well. Yeah, the game was not even over yet. They had to literally push people off the court to finish like the last two tenths of a second that was left in that game. And I was thinking, gosh, we do have a long haul ahead, right? We're still at 7.7%, whatever, inflation. We're still high. We're nowhere close to 2%, yet uh, markets absolutely loved it. Yeah, I mean... It- what we saw, we saw kind of good news across the board when you dig into that inflation print. So first off, as you noted, we increased 7.7%. That's on a year-over-year basis. So we're including a lot of months in the past. I mean, we're talking, we're we're including December of 2021 uh, in, in these numbers. Uh, so these numbers will drop off. What we want to pay a little bit more attention to is those monthly changes. So when we look at the monthly change in uh, consumer prices or CPI, what we saw was that it increased 0.4%. That's still a little high, but it's a lot lower than what was expected, which was 0.6%. So that was a good thing. And probably more importantly was this core CPI number. Core CPI excludes food and energy prices because they're really, really volatile. And when we look at the core CPI, what we see is that it increased by 0.3%, which was also less than what was expected, which was 0.5%, and a big slowdown from the prior month. So what we're seeing, and I'm kind of wrapping this up right here, the prices are coming in, uh, price increases are coming in slower than expected and slower than the prior month. So we're moving in the right direction here. Well, Annie, it's great we're moving in the right direction, but this doesn't mean it's over. I, I This is what confuses me a, a little bit, and I think a lot of people listening, too. I mean, we're still looking at the Fed is going to raise interest rates in December, except maybe a half a percent instead of three quarters of a point. They'll probably raise rates in January. We still haven't um, really, I, I don't think we've seen the impact of lower corporate profits due to, to uh, higher interest rates. And, and there's still talk of a recession in early 2023. I, I mean, was this a game changer where none of this stuff is going to happen? Or, or are you still expecting a further slowdown in the economy? I wish I could say it was a game changer, Steve, but I don't think it is. I mean, it, does it change the game a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Uh, does it have an impact on some of those things you mentioned, which I think are all spot on. 
no, not not so much. I mean, the Fed's still going to hike rates. So what it did, you know, it did take that uh, three-quarter point rate hike off the table. Now we're looking squarely at a half point rate hike. Now a lot can change between now and then, right? Yeah. Between now, now and December 14th, which is when the Fed uh, would next meet. So, but based on today, we're looking at a half point hike and that's what took it off the table. So what markets are looking at, they're really looking at the fact that maybe the beginning of the end is in sight uh, from a rate hike perspective, but that doesn't change the fact that, you know, recession risk is still elevated. Doesn't change the fact that we haven't seen too much of a slowdown in corporate profits with all these higher uh, uh, inflation numbers. Now I will say, Steve, what you have seen though is sales increasing at a quicker rate than earnings. In other words, we are seeing an impact in profits by shrinking profit margins. I think another point worth making here, Andy, too, is just when you talk about the reaction of the market to this this inflation data from last week. I think I saw recently a statistic that said on, on most days, if the S&P 500 is up, it's up about four hundredths of a percent, right? When you get a day like Thursday uh, where markets were way up, but you timed the market, right? You got out because things have been just rocky and all over the place. You missed a big day. Oh, yeah, it was a, a very big day and, and a very big week. A lot of those gains did happen on Wednesday. I mean, you saw the S&P 500, it jumped 5.5% in one day. That's your yeah. 500 largest stocks. NASDAQ did even better. It soared to 7.4% in a single day. I mean, the, the weeks we saw last week, just in general, they were pretty good across the board. I mean, bulk of the gains did come on Thursday, uh, but the, the whole week, the S&P 500 rose 5.9%. And that was its best week since June of this year. The NASDAQ was up 8.1%. That was its best week since March. Uh, bonds even had a good week. Uh, they climbed, I mean, it doesn't seem like a lot, but 2.2%. <laughs> About that's time. A, that's, a, that's a big, yeah, I know, right? That's a big <laughs> move for bonds. Uh, it's actually the second best week uh, for the bond market since 1988. You're listening to Simply Money on 55KRC. I'm Steve Sprovac, along with Amy Wagner. And if it's Monday, we must be talking to Andy Stout, Chief Investment Officer of Allworth Financial. Hey, Andy, it was a, a phenomenal week last week. I, I mean, when that when that inflation data came out, markets loved it, took, absolutely took off. And, and I guess my immediate knee jerk, I get nervous when stuff like that happens. I, I mean, did the market get ahead of itself? Was it too much? Well, when you look at the market and where we're at and where we've come from in terms of, you know, the highs on January 3rd, where mm -hmm. you've seen, you know, uh, uh, markets come down a decent amount since. And obviously, we've had a nice little rebound here over the past uh, few weeks. Uh, but even if just looking at the, uh, the S&P 500, you know, just for this year itself, we're still down about not including dividends, about 16% for the entire year. No, I know for the for this quarter, and for the, you know, we, we're up at like a, a solid 11%. So that's really good. Uh, however, we're we're still down. The question is whether or not we're out of the woods. I mean, who knows? Time will tell, yeah. right? I think what we see with the S&P 500 on this uh, the shift lower is that inflation became more and more of a risk as the year progressed. And that's why you saw stocks sold off, because that would mean the Fed would have to hike rates. And that raises the risk of an economic recession when the Fed is raising interest rates. Now, when we look at these leading economic indicators, Steve, you know, they do show high recession risk, not that it's right around the corner. 
because uh, if you saw the growth in the third quarter, you know, came in pretty decent. Uh, wow. <clears throat> I know the first two quarters were negative, but I, I would argue those are kind of one-offs because those were impacted by uh, import prices as well as inventories, which aren't really too indicative of the underlying strength of the economy. So I, what I would like to look at is uh, more business spending, uh, individual consumer spending. Uh, those show that we're, we're still at a pretty steady growth. So now when we look ahead to next year, what sort of recession risk is being priced in? Well, I think it's it's a, a moderately priced in. I don't think it's 100% priced in. And that if we do see a recession you know, sometime in 2023, wouldn't it be too shocking to see some more volatility in the days ahead? But it's not it's not a certainty, right? I mean, you can look at uh, historical recessions and when market bottoms have occurred. Here's the thing: market bottoms occur before a recession is over. And the, so, when you think about that, trying to time the, your investment strategy to whether or not we're in a recession or not in a recession it becomes a really uh, difficult, if not impossible, thing to do. Another thing I think that will be interesting this week, Andy, is we have, what, 15 speeches from various members of the Federal Reserve. And we have seen this year with so much attention focused on the Fed that they speak and markets respond. Now we're looking at 15 speeches in one week. Like, what do we need to prepare for here? Well, I, I think one of the bigger ones has already happened uh, today. The Federal Reserve Vice Chair Lael Brainerd, uh, she said that the Fed will probably need to slow down their pace of rate hikes uh, soon. Uh, specifically, and I'll quote her here, it will probably be appropriate soon to move to a slower pace of increases. So right. that reinforces that reinforces uh, where the market is pricing. Uh, and we can see what, when I say where the market's pricing, there's like specific uh, securities you can trade that predict or, or trade and make assessments based on where the Fed will uh, be in terms of rate hikes or how quick they'll hike rates. And that really reinforces that the Fed will downshift to a half point hike at its December meeting from these three quarter point hikes we've been uh, accustomed to these large outside rate hikes over the past uh, four meetings. So when you look at where we're at now, uh, it certainly suggests that the Fed is shifting. But as Chair Powell said, uh, following the Fed's meeting uh, last time, what we uh, on November uh, or uh, yeah early November, he said it's not necessarily about how quickly they hike, but he did indicate that will be at these higher rates for longer than what might be expected. So that means there could be more restrictive policy and that does raise the risk of an economic slowdown, but you know that doesn't mean that you know stocks and bonds will move in tandem with the economy because uh, as we've seen from time to time markets can, you know, they're relatively random, but if you look at it over a long period of time maybe, I say like long period, I'm talking like 3 5 years, so not that that long. You know, markets go up over pretty much every single time period. 95% of the time, markets uh, are higher over every five-year period uh, going back over the past 50 years. Great perspective as always, Andy. Here's the all-worth advice. If you stay in the market when times are tough, you're going to be there to take advantage of huge, huge gains, right? As we saw last week, timing the market, it just doesn't work out. Speaking of markets, the crypto market in a bit of a crisis. We're going to talk about that. Tell you who just lost tens of millions of dollars and explain what some say needs to happen to keep it all afloat. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. 
You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. If you can't listen to our show every night, subscribe and get our daily podcast. Listen to it on your next day, on the way to work, or while you're at the gym. And if you got some friends, maybe you were hanging out with them over the weekend, and you thought they could use a little bit of help with their money, well, share the word with them, too. Just search Simply Money on the iHeart app or wherever you find your podcast. Coming up at 6.43, why you need to have your investment accounts organized and get things together, what you need to think through and be ready for. Oh, Steve, the IRS. Sometimes you just got, you just, IRS, shake your head. Now they're trying to find hundreds of, yes, billions of dollars because they never got it. Well, they call it a tax gap. In other words, <laughs> what they think people owe versus what they collected. They think the tax gap may be somewhere in the neighborhood of $500 billion a year. So obviously Congress looks at that and says, oh, okay, that's found money. I, I yeah. mean, let's just, just go get it. Bring you know? that in, right? Bring that yeah. in, yeah, exactly. And that, that's why, at least from Congress's perspective, that's why they're they're funding an extra $80 billion to the IRS in, in part to recover what they think is $500 billion a year just trickling right through their fingers. And listen, I don't want to overstate this, but I think it's fair to say that the IRS is a mess, right? I mean, we have you seen think? pictures of IRS cafeterias that are just full of paper files, right? And we, we know they're so behind on returns. And uh, you, you go to call the IRS with a question and you're going to be waiting until December of 2029, yeah. right? Just such a mess. So, so the funding for the IRS makes sense. Whether they will actually recoup this money or not, man, it remains to be seen. The money that was supposed to go for enforcement, customer service, operation upgrades, all things that I think we could all get on the same page and say, uh, yeah, that's needed. Yeah. And if you're worried about them coming after you, well, maybe you have something to worry about. I don't know. But, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of it boils down to there are 6,871 pages in the tax in the tax code. I, I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous number. I went to a talk years ago by Steve Forbes, and, and he literally had an index card that he wanted to propose as the way you file, file your taxes. Whenever you have a tax code that complicated, you know, there's going to be errors made. But really what they think is going on is, is that there are huge numbers from crypto transactions, offshore bank accounts, flow through corporate entities. This isn't me and you, Amy. I, I yeah. mean, th this is the big dollars that they, they honestly think is just going right through their fingers and they, they want to grab some of it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. John, it's not John Doe or Joe Schmo, right? It's these corporations or super wealthy individuals yeah. that they're yeah. looking into. If you are a crypto investor, if you've been paying attention to headlines, if you're not an investor and you're glad you weren't invested, <laughs> well, Speaking maybe crypto, there's no. a good case for you. We're talking about the crypto market, and we want to explain something that's been in the headlines a lot lately. It has to do with FTX. Yeah, It's hard to keep up with crypto because I feel like every two weeks there's a new kind of currency. FTX isn't a currency, though. It's an exchange. It's a place that you yeah. go to to buy and sell crypto. So, So that's what we're talking about here. Yeah, and, and supposedly this was the, the go-to place. This was the like trustworthy the place. standard, yes. It, yeah, it was, which tells you, you know, just there, not how little regulation there is, how there's a complete lack of yes. regulation, and that's the problem. There's a, a, I almost want to call him a kid, there's a guy named Sam Bankman-Fried, 
who built up this. First, he built up something called Alameda, which is his trading arm, um, set that off as a corporate entity, and then he builds up FTX. Congratulations. He's an entrepreneur in crypto. By the time he was 30, he was worth somewhere between 16 and 20 billion dollars okay yeah and so he sees crypto as the future and he's helping bail out other crypto companies that screwed up and were making errors and whatnot and everybody looked at them as ftx as the white knight as the one that was going to give credibility to crypto only one problem it completely completely um nosedived it it just it just completely cratered in about a week's time went from a value of somewhere around 20 billion 30 billion numbers are all over the place to maybe zero and they filed bankruptcy last week yeah it was once valued at 32 billion dollars that exchange now facing a shortfall of up to eight billion dollars i was reading tweets uh, a couple of weeks last week i guess from the sam bankman freed as he was trying they were super cryptic tweets versus all cryptic crypto treats yeah uh, tweets so uh, three times fast. yeah exactly yeah i'm not gonna try that yeah uh but he was trying to make sense of of what happened here and, and you know and, and part of it too is it's more expensive to borrow money right now right yeah. and so as you talk about what the federal reserve is doing it companies that are not rock solid become exposed at times like this and that's exactly what happened with ftx right he he it, it's almost when you look at what happened like a ponzi scheme he took some of the money that people had invested and tried to cover some other companies with it. Uh, And then when that went south and people started to pull their investments out, right, when word started to get out to the public that, hey, you probably don't want your money in this exchange, $5 billion worth of people went in and said, give me... There's nothing left. In one day, they, $5 billion went out the window in one day from people saying, give me my money before this and completely I'm craters. getting out of here. Yes. Yeah, and, and I can't blame them at all. But, you know, it, it's I, I don't know if there's going to be anything left for people. And this is not FDIC insured, like your bank account and my bank account. When the money's gone, it's it's just gone. To give you an idea of the scale of this thing, Amy, uh, older people will remember Enron. I, I yes. mean, Enron, Enron was a you know legitimate company, but, you know, they, they went belly up and and a lot of people got hurt when Enron went under. The guy that oversaw Enron during the bankruptcy proceedings is now the new CEO of FTX. I, I, I oh, mean, I yeah. didn't know that. So, so, well, well. Yeah, so you got you got an expert in unraveling very complicated issues, but this thing ain't going to you know show up tomorrow as as being oh no, it was just an a, an accounting error, guys. We're we're fine. It, it's it's not going to be that. And I am really really. And I'm bummed out. I I don't think is is you know where I'm at with this. It just brings to light what we've been saying all along yes. of where crypto is. I mean, you're going to have Justice Department probes, uh, Securities Exchange Commission probes. There's going to be a lot of probes going into what happened with this company, and maybe finally get some regulation in that industry. And that's exactly what's needed. That's what it needs. Also, yeah. some famous faces tied to this one. You know, poor Tom Brady and his <laughs> just wife. Keeps getting better. Soon to be ex-wife, fashion model, Giselle Boonchin. Like, these two were in the headlines all over the place for their divorce and all that yeah. stuff. But now they were actually one of the big investors. Uh, and it's unclear exactly. I think it's $45 million that Brady lost, $25 million that Giselle lost. I mean, they're going to be just fine. But it does go to show that when you see these big-name people, right, out there talking about these things, they, they could lose just as much as you can. you got to know what you're investing in. Here's the all-worth advice. Man, crypto, it's just unregulated. And we would say right now it's just 
not the best long-term investment. It's more of a gamble. If you've got money that it's okay to lose, maybe then crypto, but otherwise probably not. Coming up, second marriages can really complicate your estate plan. Take it from me, I understand. Doing nothing, though, makes things much worse. We've got our estate planning expert in next to discuss this incredibly important issue. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money. I'm Amy Wagner along with Steve Sprovac. You know, estate planning can be messy. It can be confusing and complicated for anyone. But when it's a second marriage, well, it is an entirely different ballgame. Joining us tonight to make sense of what our options are, if maybe we are in this situation, is our friend Mark Reckman. Of course, he's our estate planning expert from the law firm of Wood and Lamping. Mark, as you know, um, I have my, my dad. My mom passed away several, several years ago. My dad has remarried. So second marriage there. I also am in a second marriage. So I have seen this from just about every angle. And it can get incredibly complicated. Well, it certainly can, and doing nothing often makes it much worse. Absolutely. So you've seen situations where nothing is done, and let's talk through that scenario. Well, let me tell you a story that uh, of a case that came across my desk last year. Um, a client named Dave lived in Columbus. Uh, he married Sally back in the 1980s. They had one daughter, Karen. In 2006, Sally died of cancer. So Dave, at that point, was the single parent of a preteen daughter. So Dave met with a lawyer. He signed a trust and a will. Now, the will leaves all of his assets to this trust because Karen was young. The daughter was a preteen. Mm -hmm. The trust says that Dave's mother will manage the money for Karen's benefit until she's older, 21, 24, 25, until she's older. Okay. Several years later, Dave meets Nancy online, of course. Uh, mm -hmm. They begin dating. Nancy's been married before. She has three children of her own. So the relationship goes well. Um, Dave sells his house. He buys a new house with a single floor plan because he's got bad knees. <clears throat> he put the house in the name of his trust. And he and buys it himself, right? He hasn't married Nancy yet. This, Nancy isn't part of this buying the house process, right? That's right. This is okay. before they got married. Dave okay. downsized to a single to a single floor plan, and uh, that house is free and clear, put in his trust. And then in 2016, Dave and Nancy get married. Mm. Uh, now, Nancy has a house which she sells at a loss, and she moves into Dave's house. Five years go by. Uh, neither one of them do anything to update their estate plan. Dave develops a kidney problem, which he ignores. Mm. He develops sepsis. sepsis and he dies in early March um, at the age of 64. Oh, no. So she's living in his house, which is owned by the trust. That's right. And the trust leaves everything to his daughter, Karen, oh. who is now 28 years old. Now, Dave Sticky. also kept all of his bank accounts and his investments in his own name. Uh, and under the terms of his trust, all of those assets also go to Karen. Um, and they're ready to be distributed because Karen is now over the age of distribution in the trust. But, Amy, it gets worse. Dave's mother, who was in charge of the trust, is now nearly 90 years old. She has no idea what to do or where to turn. Oh. So Nancy is living in the house she doesn't own. And she has, has no money no coming money. in from her husband. Yeah. She doesn't, she doesn't even have enough money to pay the funeral. Oh. What a mess. Now, she's entitled to Dave's Social Security, but that only amounts to about $1,500 a month. Yeah. Dave's pension died with him because he set up his pension payout before he met Nancy. 
So there's no survivor benefits uh, from Dave's pension. Um, so Nancy is very much up a creek without a paddle. Absolutely. So how does this play out? Well, I guess the the, the first question that that everybody asks when I tell the story is, well, that's not fair. Well, you know, that depends, Amy, on your point of view. Most of Dave's money was accumulated by him and his first wife. In fact, most of it was life insurance on his first wife's life. Mm-hmm. So is it unreasonable for Dave to leave that to his daughter? Is it unreasonable for his daughter to expect to receive that money? Well, probably not. Uh, but Nancy and Dave had a wonderful relationship. Um, she cared for him when he got sick. She gave up her own house, and she now has nowhere to live. Mm. And she's stuck with this funeral bill. Um, so it's a god-awful mess. Now, what ultimately happened in this case is that the daughter was a was a good moral character. She stepped up. And she authorized the trust to pay the funeral bill, and she is letting her. She has an excellent relationship with Nancy, who was her stepmother, and she's letting Nancy stay in the house as long as Nancy pays all the taxes and utilities and things of that kind. And how long that will last, Amy, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nancy's at the mercy of her stepdaughter's generosity, which at this yes. point has been fine, but uh, it's very uncertain in the future. Anything can change at any point, right? It could change at any point, especially if uh, the daughter gets married, has kids, and now uh, needs money to buy her own home. We're joined by Mark Reckman, our estate planning expert with the law firm of Wood and Lamping, with kind of a cautionary tale on what can go wrong, right? If you are in a second marriage and, and there's no estate planning that takes place, things can get incredibly messy. Uh, what else do we need to learn from this, Mark? Well, the, the, main, the main concept is to sit down and decide what you want. Perhaps you yes. want... You're, perhaps you feel a loyalty to your children. Perhaps you have a loyalty to your new spouse. Perhaps you feel loyalties to both. But sit down and decide what you want. Don't ignore the problem. We are not immortal. Uh, we don't have a warning always when our health is going to turn bad. Amy, not many people saw the COVID epidemic coming and over no. a million Americans died. Yes, great point. And so I don't think, be caught unprepared. You know, and also, um, and I'm always a big fan of sitting down and having conversations with family members, right, so that everyone knows what to expect. But especially, I think, in second marriages, right, where there's children and stepchildren in a, in a first spouse and in, in the current spouse, things can get really tricky. And so if you wait until, even if you do have an estate plan, but it's never been discussed with anyone, uh, you know, that can be really tricky, too. So I think having conversations early and often about how this can look like or what what to expect is also incredibly beneficial. Absolutely. And to, to, to drive that point home, it certainly would have helped this family a great deal if we really knew what Dave wanted. But yeah. he didn't sound, we didn't know. We had to guess. Hmm. That's tough. So if you got a redo, right? If, if Dave and Nancy had a redo on this, as soon as they got married, they would have made an estate plan. And my guess is that Dave probably would have amended his trust to yeah. say that, that Nancy could stay in the house for some period of time, three years, five years, maybe the rest of her life, as long as she paid all the costs associated with it, but that when she was done with the house, that the house would go to Dave's kids and not Nancy's kids. That's a common balance that a lot of people will strike. But luckily, also, Karen, the daughter, doesn't need that money right now, right? If she was in a financial situation where she needed the money, even if the relationship was good, that would have been really, really sticky for them. Really sticky. That's exactly right. So the, the advice from you is to make sure that estate plan is set up and communicated to everyone. 
That's right. And to be sure that you think through the long, the long, the long picture, the big picture. Great advice, as always, from our state planning expert from the law firm of Wood and Lamping, Mark Reckman. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. Do you have a financial question you'd like for us to talk about on the show? There's a red button you can click on. You're just listening to the show on the iHeart app. Click on that button, record your question. It comes straight to us. We'd love to talk about it right here on the show. Straight ahead at 6.43. An experiment that shows how impactful your money can be when you give it away. This is a great, like, cutting-edge uh, research, and it's really, really interesting. This happens quite often, Steve, right? We get a new client coming into Allworth and uh, we start talking to them about IRAs, 401ks, their investment accounts, and all of a sudden we realize they've got like a dozen of them, right? Yeah. I will also say it might happen, and I won't give any specific examples, but say when you remarry and the person that comes into the marriage and you're looking at it like, wait, what? I'm not going to throw any names out there. Asking for a friend. Exactly. Asking for a friend. But this is a pretty common situation. And if you're someone who's interested in, hey, let's let's get organized here. Let's start really talking seriously about retirement and financial goals. This might be one of the first things to tackle. Well, it is. And, you know, everybody walks in when they meet with an investment advisor with, you know, certain questions, certain goals, and usually performance is up there. You know, tell me a little bit about yourself and what your company can do. Um, and if they show up with about 30 different IRA statements, I, I just say, hey, before we get into any of that, you need to kind of get a handle on yes. things, don't you? <laughs> you know? How do you make you sense imagine? of it? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's different fees and investment options and all kinds of things. And, and maybe ultimately consolidating all of them doesn't make the most sense. But let's pare it down a little bit here. right? Yeah. Let's get this under control. And, and there's some confusion out there over how you can do it. I mean, I've gotten calls, and, and this happens on a regular basis. Hey, my wife and I want to combine our IRAs just to make life simpler. Um, love to. Can't do it. Illegal. Yeah. You know, IRA, IRA and for, your IRA. Yeah. Different. IRA stands for individual retirement account. But you know what? If you've got four five, six different IRAs, yeah, you can combine them. I'm not saying give them all to one advisor, but you can combine them uh, or, or maybe have one managed by an advisor, one that you keep on top of yourself, whatever you want. But you don't have to have five or, or six. You can combine those. And, and, yeah, people get tripped up by, well, I thought there's only one rollover a year you can do. Yeah, a rollover is where you take possession of the money for up to 60 days. You can combine. You can do transfers from one IRA to another. There really is no limitation on that. So I think step one, and, and you're right on the money talking about organization, um, let's go ahead and maybe do a little consolidation if the goal is the same. You don't have to have accounts all over the place. And you know what? When you're gone someday, your kids might spend years tracking down yeah. all of those different accounts. So consolidation will keep yours and, and your heirs' lives a lot simpler. Yeah. All right. So you get to the point where you've got your accounts figured out, right? And they're maybe consolidated. You're down to just a few. Yeah. Then figure out. Uh, the the dreaded B word. And I'm talking about a budget here. And I don't mean necessarily you need to know on a daily basis what you're spending, but what's a realistic amount that you will need in retirement, right? And and don't try to cut back on, hey, this is what we're spending now, but I think we can get it down to this amount in retirement. You don't want to cut back in retirement. You want to continue living the way you always have. You don't want to have to change that up. uh, Or maybe you want to live a little better in retirement, but certainly not worse. I I saw a good friend last night for the first time in about two 
two years since he retired. And, and I, you know, how you doing? You enjoying life? And and he's only a couple of years older than me. And he, he said, I am loving it. I am traveling. We're doing this. We're doing that. And he spent about 10 minutes telling me, and I was happy to hear it because he's a good friend. And, and I said, you know what? That, that just goes to show you if you're not spending more money, at least in the first two years of retirement than you were when you were working, you're not doing it right. Yeah. I, I mean, that's why you work so hard sure. to enjoy life. So, uh, you know, I've heard, you know, there's lots of different rules of thumb about, you know, you only need 80% of your income, which I think is a total bunch of you know what. Um, I, one of the best guidelines I, I, I saw was expect to spend maybe one, 20%, 10 to 20% more the first couple of years of yeah. retirement than you are right now. I think that's reasonable because all those things you put off, you want to get done while you're healthy. Well, and know yourself too, right? Yeah. I met a couple who literally the day after retirement was done, they packed up their suitcases and they put their stuff in storage and they headed to Europe. Wow. And they were months in Europe, right? And they had the absolute times of their life. They've been planning this for years, right? But probably significantly more expensive than the way that they had been living here. They had planned for it. They knew that those first year or two were going to be more expensive uh, and they could handle it. So I think also that conversation with your spouse about what do we want this to look like? And, and you know what? I mean, to that point, starting out with a, a trip or something like that might be a great thing because many times you go from very different kind of separate lives of at least one of you being in the office all day, you know, Monday through Friday. Yep, yep. It, it's an adjustment, I think, an emotional adjustment for both of you being at home. So having something kind of fun to do together to sort of kick off this next stage of your lives, not a bad thing to plan for or think about. No, and, and, and talking to your spouse is probably number one. We probably should yes. have started off on that one because I have <laughs> yes. seen, you know, one spouse just grin and light up when you start saying, what do you plan on doing in retirement? And the other spouse turn to the first and kind of look at them like, who are you and yeah. and you what are you what? even talking about? Yeah, yeah, which tells me maybe communication might be one of the keys to uh, planning for retirement. No, no doubt about it. I, I'll tell you something that everybody has to do, and I still run into this with 75, 80-year-olds that, oh, I'll get to it. Yeah, I know I need to do that. Would you please update your legal documents? Don't go into retirement uh. without updating wills, trusts if you have them beneficiary designations, very important. Just had a call this morning about, hey, I just updated my will. That covers my IRA, right? No. Okay, let's get the beneficiary changed on that. That's what's important, not what's in your will for something like an IRA. It is so important. And yes, to update beneficiaries because those supersede wills. But I even yep. know the story of, you know, a man who had saved and saved and saved. He ended up having millions of dollars. You would have never known it from looking at the way that he lived. Uh, but there were several charities that were sort of near and dear to his heart. And he wanted to make sure the money went to them. He had the will drawn up, but never signed it. And Oops. as a result, that money ended up going to a nephew that was estranged, that he was not close to at all. So it, it's just so so important to make sure that these things are taking you, you just never know when yeah. something when something could change when something could go wrong but these are all things that are important to just get these ducks in a row the sooner the better yeah and, and make sure your loved ones know where all these documents and information is so important yeah, yeah. otherwise it's going to be a mess when you're gone Here's the all-worth advice. Knowledge is power. Knowing where those investments live, where your documents are, can lead to smarter decisions and, and just peace of mind for everyone. Coming up, if you love to just spread happiness in the world, well, what do you want to do? 
Giveaway money appears to be the answer. Really interesting experiment done that proves it. We're going to tell you about it next. You're listening to Simply Money here on 55KRC, the talk station. You're listening to Simply Money, presented by Allworth Financial. I'm Amy Wagner, along with Steve Sprovac. Imagine you had $2 million of just extra money sitting around, uh, and you and your spouse start talking about it. What are we going to do with this money? Well, there was such a couple. We don't know who they are because they're anonymous. But what they decided to do with that money, they contacted Ted, right, Ted Talks, and they said, we want to do an experiment. We want to give this money away, but we also want a social experiment done at the same time about happiness. Hence, this experiment was born where, what was it, 2,000 people? 200 people. 200 people. 200 people got $10,000, and the only rules about that money was you got to spend it in three months. Yeah, and what they found is that people were happier after they received $10,000. Amazing. (laughs) Breaking news. Study was done at the University of Duh. (laughs) I mean, come on. But, you know, you know, it was really interesting. I'm reading into the study and, you know, I I, I got into it a little bit. And and the way they contacted these people that eventually got the money was by Twitter, basically saying, hey, we want to give you $10,000. We need your bank information. How many people would have looked at that and said, "Uh, no, nice try. But that was pretty that that was that that wasn't even a good effort. Yeah. The interesting, though, is thing is, though, they, they did contact people through Twitter and but people from all different countries. Right. So yeah. not just here in the U.S. So they had uh, sort of third world, co- you know, countries that are in deep poverty or whatever. And, and th- so this money was distributed to people who've got six figure salaries and people who are incredibly poor. And what they found was the biggest kind of bang for the buck. Right. The most return on that happiness was often for people in those. Think about ten thousand dollars. I think even when I first got out of college. Right. But yeah. when you look at people. People in these lower, like the, the impact that that money made was really overwhelming for them. And, and they put it in numbers and they said, hey, by giving this money away, this couple generated 250 times more happiness than they <laughs> would have if they had kept it to themselves. I, I wonder if they feel that way. I yeah. don't know. So so poor people appreciated the $10,000 more than rich people. I, okay, another shocking discovery. On, <laughs> Back yeah. to the University of Duh, right? Yeah, but good for them. I mean, that's a nice thing to do. And I, I, I know you get money. I gift money. Um, charities are real important in, in mine and my wife's lives. And I feel good making sure that that money goes to people who really, really need it. It's it's a good thing to do. I think that's the biggest takeaway from this research, right? It, 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 giving that money away does make a difference for you and the people receiving yeah. it. And the more impact that you can have, right, the better that everyone feels. Interesting research. Thanks for listening. We hope you're going to tune in tomorrow. We're going to talk about ways to save money this holiday season when you're spending so much. You've been listening to Simply Money presented by Allworth Financial on 55KRC, the talk station.